right, we're in the third week of a series. You can tell when Xander's not here. Lights don't come on. Everything goes wrong. It takes three people to replace Xander back there at that booth, man. Xander's the superhero. I appreciate those three people stepping up today, Tanya and Lynn. And David's always here. David's running sound tonight or today on about 90 minutes worth of sleep. So he was sleeping in the office back there when I got here. So, man, it's just amazing to me the people that step up to make this place happen week after week after week. Week three of a series called When Life Gives You Lemons. And we're talking about the fact that sometimes in life, life just simply doesn't go the way you want it to go. Scratch that. Nine times out of ten, life just simply doesn't go the way you want to go. And what you can do when life gives you lemons is you can get real, real sour. Or you can take those lemons and you can make lemonade. Because the reality is that you're never going to be able to stop the fact that the lemons come along. Life is full of lemons. And it's amazing to me to watch different people, especially amazing to me to watch people who I deem successful in life and people who probably just don't seem so successful in life. The people who are successful in life, whether they're successful financially, successful in their business, successful in their marriage, successful when it comes to raising children, successful when it comes to having purpose, those that are successful in life are always the people who learn to adapt and change and roll when the lemons come along. Nobody is immune to the lemons of life. And we've been going through what I like to call the happiest book in all the Bible, the book of Philippians. It's just four short chapters. And to get you caught up with that, we're in the fourth chapter today. Um, At this time that Paul wrote this, Paul's been a Christian about 30 years. And about 11 years prior to this, He went to Philippi and he planted a church. And this is the church that he's writing to right here. In those 11 years, um, it's been about four years, according to theologians and according to historians, that he had been back to the church. Paul would plant these churches. He would go back and check on them to make sure everything was going good. And it had been about four years since he had been to the church at Philippi. So it had been about four years since he had communicated with this church. Since those four years had come along, Paul had had a rough go of things. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been beaten. He'd been left homeless. He'd been left for dead, drifting out on the open sea. At this point in the story, Paul is in prison, awaiting his execution. I tell you all that to tell you this. If there was anybody who had any reason to complain, it would be Paul. If there was anyone who had a reason to be sour, about the lemons that he had been dealt with as he was seeking to serve God, it would be Paul. Yet he sits down and he begins to write to the church at Philippi four short chapters and 16 different times in these four chapters. He refers back to them being happy. He refers back to them having joy. He refers back to them um, rejoicing in things. Paul understood where happiness comes from. Paul understood where joy comes from. See, we tend to think that happiness comes from our circumstances. Happiness comes from the things that we have. Happiness comes from the relationships that we have. But circumstances, things, and relationships can change on a dime. If your happiness is found in those things, then you're going to find it lacking when it comes to happiness. 
Let me ask you something today, because you seem really dead today, and I'm just in a mood today. You'll have to forgive me today. My mother-in-law moved in today, so I'm a little bit on edge today. So are you awake today? Because if not, we'll just pack it up right now and go home. We're talking about the happiest book in all the Bible, and you acting like you're sad. It's the week before Thanksgiving. If we all ever be happy, if we all ever have joy, if we all ever ought to be at a thankful time in our life, it ought to be right now. So work with me. I understand we're a, we're a 99% white church, and it's, you're not used to talking back to the preacher. But help me out, Kevin. Let's get back with them. Let's work out with them a little bit today. The only one not allowed to talk back is Jerry in the back corner because he talks back the entire time. So Paul's out here here and he's talking about finding joy in life and at this time in his life needless to say life is very complicated like i told you he's in jail awaiting execution and while he's in jail he receives some news about the church at philippi that greatly troubles him it greatly discourages him I dare say as he's sitting in prison, he gets the lemons of what's happening back at this church that he planted. And here's what he says in verse chapter four, verse one. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, you whom I long for, my joy and my crown. He says, he goes, hey, I'm writing to you and I I don't want you to forget me. You're my joy. I love you. I I sacrificed years of my life planting that church and I care deeply about you. He says, I stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He he says, I plead with Udiah and I plead with a name I can't pronounce to be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's saying, go back to that verse, please. He says, I plead with these two people to be of the same mind. So Paul's in prison, and he hears about two people in the church who aren't getting along. Boy, some things never change. Two people not getting along. Two people not getting along so bad That while he's in prison, he feels the need to write them. He says, I plead with you to be of the same mind of the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who names in the book. He says, hey, I plead with you, the church. These are good women. They've stood by my side. They've helped me spread the gospel. I want you to stand beside them and work with them in this situation because Paul knew that division in the church could literally destroy the church. Somebody say amen. He knew that two people fighting could break up the assembly. We, know, we, we heard they'll say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And here's these two women and they're fighting. And Paul comes along in the middle of this book of joy and he writes to them and says, Hey, I want you to stand firm with these women. I want you to come around these women. Don't choose sides with these women. Let's bring peace to these women and unity to these women. It's funny to me how quickly... Bad news travels. Paul's 800 miles away. Paul's in prison. There was no Facebook in this time. There was no Twitter during this time. There was no TikTok during this time. 
There was no Instagram during this time. There was no email during this time. Sounds like a good time, actually. There was no phone during this time. What I'm telling you is, it was not the day and time we live in where something bad can happen and one second later we can post it for all the world to see. And yet the contention in this church had got so bad that the news had traveled 800 miles to where Paul was. Now here's the deal. It doesn't tell us what they're fighting about. It doesn't go into details about what they're fighting about. But I'm 24 years into this pastoring gig, and here's what I can promise you. Whatever it was they were fighting about was something small and stupid. I've never been part of a church that had a fight over a big issue. But my God, I've been part of some churches that have fought over some stupid issues. They were fighting over something stupid. Christians, for whatever reason, and you're going to find this shocking, I know, love to fight and argue. And it's a very rare occasion where they fight over anything important. I've seen churches literally split down the middle over who gets named the leader of a certain ministry. I've seen churches fight over the color of a carpet and a new construction of a building. Literally know a church where a pastor put in a certain color carpet and half the church left because they didn't like the color of the carpet. I know a church where the pastor, listen to me, if I'm lying, I'm dying today. I know a, a church, I think I've shared this story with you before. I know a church where the pastor lost his job. Because you walked into the church and a hall went this way and a hall went this way. And in the middle was the worship area. The way they had the nursery set up in this hall caused traffic jams due to the exit of the worship area. So one week he comes in, doesn't ask anybody to help him. And he moves the nursery to the other side of the hall. They came in and since he did it without getting permission, the deacons fired him. You say, I don't believe that. Let me tell you a story from my own life. So the first church I ever worked at, I was the singles pastor. They call it the college and career pastor. And I took over about seven young adults. And in about three months, we were running about three or 400 young adults. And we were in this classroom. Well, the church of the basement, or the basement of the church, excuse me, had not been used in almost 15 years, but it had a wide open area. So we went to the pastor. We got permission. We moved all these teen, or these young adults down to that area where we could hold them all. So we went down there, and the walls of the room were painted pink. So I said, man, I don't know much. Let's paint these walls. So we painted these walls. The walls of the room that had not been used for 15 years. 48 hours later, I'll never forget. I can tell you the exact time. At 1037 at night, I get a phone call from the pastor I need you to come to the church. For what? I, I thought somebody was dead. He said, you just need to get here. So I get there and all the, you, you don't know anything about this because we don't have these, but they had these things called deacons. Deacons were people who were given a title, even though they probably weren't qualified to have the title, and then therefore thought they ran everything. The deacons had gathered together at 1037 at night, upset 
that I had painted this room that had not been used in 15 years. And I'll never forget one of them looking at me and saying, if you want to keep your job, you better have a real good explanation. And I was like, well, my explanation is the walls are pink. No one's used the room in 15 years. Then I had to kindly remind them that the young adult ministry I grew was double the size of the church, and I'd be glad to take those young adults to start a new church if they didn't like it. It's amazing I kept my job. But my point being, churches fight over stupid stuff. I know a pastor who got all kinds of hot water because he moved the piano from the right side of the stage to the left side of the stage. I mean, I'm just telling you, I could go on and on and on and on about the stupidity that church people fight over. And what's sad is the church in general is known for its fighting. And the fighting's always over dumb stuff. And that's what was happening here in the church. It, it was so bad that Paul felt like he needed to address this church. And again, what's amazing to me is it was only two people fighting. And Paul calls them out by name. That shows you how quickly discord can set in. Two people, and people were taking sides, and it was affecting the unity of the church. And it's causing stress to the point that Paul feels the need to respond to them. And as he responds to them, he gives them some very pointed things on what to do when the lemons come along. But here's the thing. It's not an earth-shattering thing that he gives them. It's almost a simple thing that it's given them. And it's so simple that those that live their life negative will almost scoff at it. If it was that easy, everyone would do it. Well, it is that easy. Because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, joy and happiness and attitude and gratitude all starts up here in your brain. You choose to be happy or you choose to be sad. It literally starts in your brain. That sounds easy for you to say, no, no, it's super easy for me to say. Because I've lived it over and over and over in my life. The times that I go into a funk or the times that I go into a time of not being happy, it's always a battle in my brain. And when I make the decision to flip it, it's amazing how quickly things turn around. As we've been going through the book of Philippians, we've covered some different things. In chapter 1, we talked about happiness beyond our circumstances. We talked about no matter what your circumstances, you can find happiness. Week two, we talked about happiness starts in your mind. So if you missed any of those messages, you can go back to actionchurch.tv and you can listen to those. You can go to YouTube and you can watch those. Last week, we talked about happiness is killed by legalism. Happiness is killed by legalism. What kills me about this point is for the first time in eight years, I dealt with legalism from people in this church on Facebook after preaching this message. It was mind-boggling to me. It blew my mind. Now, the funny thing is, is the one who posted it, posted it tongue-in-cheek, but then everyone else jumped on the bandwagon, except for David Westrick, who was trying to stir the pot even more and made it worse. Literally, a debate broke loose on whether or not you should wear a hat in church, happiness is killed by legalism. Man-made rules that cannot be found in the Bible. Today I want to talk to you about this subject. Happiness 
no matter the situation. Happiness, no matter the situation. Here in chapter 4, Paul immediately goes from talking about the relational stress that is going on to giving the solution to finding joy in the midst of stress. I've learned as I get older that Paul gives such strong wisdom here that will literally change your life if you embrace it. There is no greater thing than getting your mind right when it comes to joy. There is no greater thing than getting your mind right when it comes to happiness. Because there's nothing more miserable than miserable people. It's too hot. It's November. I don't know why it's hot. Well, if it was November and snowing, you'd be bitching about that too because you're miserable. Mm. Miserable people are just miserable. No matter what happens, they're upset about it. They whine, they complain. They're so weak minded that they can't take their thoughts captive, like Paul said in chapter 2. I love what Paul says. And again, I love the simplicity of what Paul says. What I don't love about what Paul says is, is when I go to preach this message, it happens on the week that I need this message. I hate that. I despise that. I would much rather get up here and preach at you every week instead of preach with you every week. I hate when God says, you're going to preach on that. Let's see if you want to live it out. And in all true transparency, can I tell you, of the seven days this week, there was probably about a day and a half I didn't necessarily live it out because I didn't let my mind get where it should be. The difference, though, between me and a lot of you is I didn't live there. I changed the mindset because I knew at the end of the day when life gives you lemons, I can stay sour or I can make lemonade out of it. I don't know what it is you're dealing with today, but I know Paul's advice works. Some of you today are dealing with financial stress, especially as we go into the holidays. Some of you are dealing with financial stress of losing your job. I've heard of more people in the last week, high-powered capacity leaders with very good jobs losing their jobs because of what's going on in our country. Some of you are dealing with marital stress. Some of you are dealing with stress in your health. Some of you are dealing with job stress, children's stress, addiction stress. Maybe you're just dealing with the stress of life because the reality is life is stressful. I don't know what it is you're dealing with. But man, life will just give you lemons. We were supposed to move Friday. Man, our house is stacked floor to ceiling with boxes. Mother-in-law was moving Friday. We planned that day because when we thought, let's go get her here. We'll unload her in the new place, put her down in the basement. We don't have to see her again. It's going to work out fantastic. Instead, we unloaded all of her stuff here. Going to load it back up in two weeks because our closing got moved two weeks. It's easy to get frustrated. I needed to drown my sorrows last night over what was going on with a chocolate cake. 
So I had to go buy a pan, aluminum pan, to make the cake in because all the pans are boxed up. Can't even make a cake in the lamb house right now. It's easy to allow our circumstances to take control. But Paul just comes along almost insultingly, keeps it simple. He says, hey, I know these two people are fighting. I want you guys to come alongside them. I get there some contention in the church. But in verse 4, let me tell you this. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't hear me the first time, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. I hate this verse this week. I despise this verse this week. This verse to me is the equivalent of being at Golden Corral and you're going down and you're throwing the mac and cheese on there and you're throwing the mashed potatoes on there and you're throwing the steak on there and the fried chicken on there and then you get to that container that has Brussels sprouts. Why? Like why do they even make those just to have something green on the line? Nobody's eating them. Like that, of course you do. This is the Brussels sprouts of the Bible this week. I just wanted to skip over it. But this is not a buffet. You got to eat it all, even when you don't like it. Life sucks, rejoice. Money's tight, rejoice. Life's not going the way you expected it to be, rejoice. Hey, marriage is on the rocks, rejoice. Kids are driving you crazy, rejoice. Job sucks, rejoice. Whatever it is, hurt, habit, hang up, broke, busted, and disgusted, no matter what you're dealing with, Paul says, hey, let me just keep it simple. Just rejoice. There's power in rejoicing. I love this man. He jumps right from the church drama to telling us how to respond. He says, rejoice. And then he says, in case you missed it because you're not the brightest person around, let me reiterate it. Rejoice. Listen, the word of God is powerful. Yes, it's written by men, but men under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. As they told the men, they penned the words for the men to write. When the Bible says something, you can take it to the bank. It's important. Now, here's what all you negative people are doing right now. You're discrediting this part. Well, that's easy to say. You don't know my circumstances. Let me make this clear. I don't want to know your circumstances because I don't care. So that's not very pastoralized. So let me reiterate it. I don't care. I got my own issues today. Don't need to deal with your issues. I'm just going to give you the answer for your issues. So don't come up to me after the sermon and say, well, Gary, but, but let me tell you what's going on. I don't care. Verse 4, everybody take out your camera phones, take a picture of it, and when you feel like you need to come to me and whine about your circumstances, just read that verse. Or I'll make a deal with you. No, I won't because that that'd make me miserable. Never mind. I was going to say, I'll listen to yours if you listen to mine. Because I'm a way better storyteller than any of y'all, so I can go on for hours telling you my woes, even though they're not that bad. Always a smart ass out there. Most of the time it's a Hawkins. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Paul said when the stress comes, the anxiety comes, when things we don't like come, we should rejoice. He says, in case you didn't see it the first time, in case you're a little bit dense, I say it again, rejoice. 
When the word of God says something once, you should pay attention to it. When the word of God comes back in the exact same verse and reiterates what it said to begin with, I think God's trying to get a message through to you. And that message is rejoice. We need to learn to rejoice. The word rejoice, it means to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly, to be well and to thrive. When you don't feel like rejoicing, rejoice. (laughs) Paul says, I'm not just telling you to have a good attitude when things go wrong. He says, I'm telling you to rejoice exceedingly when things go wrong. See, what we don't understand is when we look at things going wrong, we don't realize that God's moving and shaking and moving and grooving and working behind the scenes to make it perfect. God's got a plan in everything that we go through. I share this with you. I see all the time, all the time ask me, if you could go back in time and change everything, the worst decisions of your life, would you change them? I'm like, no. Why? Because without all those decisions, I wouldn't be where I am today. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. You've got to rejoice. God says in Isaiah, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. When you can't see around the corner, I got good news for you. God's already been there. He's like that safari travel guy. He's weed whacking his way through, making the crooked places straight for you. When things go on that I don't understand, guess what? He understands. He's planning. It might not be what I planned, but my God, here's what I learned. God has a lot better plans than I do. Someone said, do you really believe that? Yeah, I'm smoking what I'm selling. I believe there's a God in heaven who's in control of everything. I believe there's a God in heaven who's not surprised by anything that goes on. And even when we go against God's will, he immediately comes back and says, dang, that isn't what I chose for you, but boom, I got another plan for you. He's not the God of second chances. He's the God of one million chances. That's good news today. My happiness, we've said this every message, my happiness is not determined by the circumstances around me. Rather, my happiness is determined by what God is doing through me. If you're looking to your circumstances for happiness, you are going to be miserable. But in the midst of the circumstances, if you can learn to step back and breathe and ask yourself, what is God trying to do right now through me? When our closing fell through and got postponed, Christine and I sat back. and I don't know if any of these are valid, but we came up with about 10 positives of the situation. Stop. They were all valid, positive things. Do any of them have to do with what God's doing? I don't know. We'll find out. But we had to focus on the positive of the situation or we would have killed some folks. Because Let me tell you how bad I am. So the whole point of buying and selling a house and having orders is you never find out the other person's name. Well, I got a thing the other day that said the other person's name. I was like, oh, well, they live in Canton. Let me find them on Facebook. I found them. 
And then I found a picture of where they were. And I was like, I know that neighborhood. I bet I could go to that neighborhood and find, I don't know really what the logic in this was because I don't know what I was going to do if I found them. No. That's my real estate agent. (laughs) I just thought I could fix the situation. Luckily, I logged off and came to my senses. But you got to step back and ask yourself, what is God doing through us? Look what Paul says next. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Oh, I hate this verse. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which is transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your, your minds in Christ Jesus. He, he says, listen, just rejoice. Don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. Don't freak out. Just go to God. And when you go to God, that peace of God will overcome your life. And then in verse 8, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, he says, finally. And here's the funny thing. Typical preacher, this ain't it, because he goes on for about seven more verses after this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, he said, if there's anything in the situation that's excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Look at the situation, and if you can find one thing that's praiseworthy in it, focus on the one thing that is praiseworthy instead of all the things that are wrong. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He says it's not enough just to hear the words I'm saying. Put it into practice. You know the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people? Very simply this. Successful people do what they've learned. Unsuccessful people just read it and move on. They read and explain the way how it won't work for them. Man, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Man, those are some action-packed verses. And what's The worst part about it is is they're not complicated. It all goes back to verse 4 where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord, he said, said, when you rejoice, people are going to see something different about you. They're going to see a different response from you. They're going to realize, man, you're not like everybody else who's bitching and moaning and thinks the world's falling apart. You're looking at it and saying you're rejoicing in the midst of the storm. That's amazing to me. When you become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, you become a new creation. The old is away. The, the world says, man, freak out because they don't have a God who's in control. We don't freak out. Gary, do you understand what's going on? God's in control. 
He wasn't called by surprise, you dummy. Like, I'm not trying, you idiot. God knew. I go to Walmart yesterday, and there's a lady standing on Walmart, and it catches my eye. She's standing in the middle of Walmart, hyperventilating. I'm like, what is she doing? She's, she's smashing her, and she's rubbing her head, and you can just see pain in her eye. So you know my nosy stuff. I'm like, I'm pull up over here next to the clothes and watch this. So I watch for about 60 seconds. Suddenly, this dude comes up to her. It's her husband, I found out later. Are you okay? I just, I'm having a panic attack and can't move because there's so many people here without masks. I'm not getting into whether we should wear a mask or not mask. It's not what I'm doing. My point is, you can sit there and have a panic attack or you can take your ass outside the store. It ain't that complicated. Why make it complicated? I literally was waiting for the husband to just sling her over his shoulder. I'm like, it's good, I got you. Let's get out of here. This lady was freaking out. I'm thinking, there, there, there's no reason to freak out over this. You say, but this is, I'm, I'm not arguing any of that. My point is, go to the Walmart app and order and you can come pick it up and you ain't got to freak out. There's solution to your problem. I'm not saying her problem was invalid. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Use the app next time. I'm here to help rejoice in the app. We allow our problems to fester to where they're consuming. And so many times there's a solution to the problem, but we're freaking out over the problem. Man, what is wrong with us? We know what I love about Paul, though. And I'm gonna, I ain't even got to the sermon. This is the introduction. Open your crock pots on low today. Man, listen. My favorite part of this is Paul doesn't just preach it. Paul lives it out. Paul had lived it out. Look at this previous story about Paul, Acts 16. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. Paul, back in jail again. Man, Paul was always up in some jail now. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he brought the prisoners, thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights. Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all those in the house. They all got saved, blah, blah, blah. Move on. Here's the situation. Paul's in prison again. It starts, instead of him whining and moaning about being in prison, they're singing and rejoicing in prison. They're praising God in prison. I have told you before, there's a lot of things I am designed for. I am not designed for prison. But Christine will tell you, my greatest fear in life is prison. Like, I, like to the point that I, I'm like, if I don't want to touch anything, if I'm in some places where I'm like, oh, let me get my fingerprints and they're going to think I committed a crime here. I'm going to go to prison. I'm, I'm not, not designed for prison. Anybody watch the TV show Oz? Don't ever watch the TV show Oz. It scared me to death about prison. 
I don't ever want to be in prison. I don't ever want to have to grab someone's pocket. I don't ever want to have to do anything. I don't want to have to like give you my pudding where you don't rape me or anything like that. I'm not designed for prison. I'm getting like, I'm freaking out right now thinking about prison. Paul's in prison rejoicing, praising God. And there's some powerful things that happen here. Paul would fit really good at Action Church when he always in and out of prison. Man. Paul's practicing what he preached here. He's locked away, and yet he begins to rejoice in the Lord. And there's some things that you see as he begins to rejoice. The first thing I see is the inspiration for the singing. Somebody say amen, we're at the first point finally. The inspiration of the scene. Gary, you say rejoice always, but my life's falling apart. How do I rejoice? Well, let's see how they rejoiced. Acts 16 says this. About midnight and Paul, Paul, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They rejoiced. They found their inspiration from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Philippians 3, Paul says this, but our citizenship, remember he's in prison here in Philippians 2, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lovely bodies, our lowly bodies, so they will be like his glorious body. When life's falling all apart, you need to get inspired by the fact that God loves you. Think about that for a minute. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke something out of nothing, the king of kings and the lord of lords, big G, God, sent his only son to walk this earth in human form to face the same temptations and the same trials that we did, but where we F it up and where we screw it up all the time, he lived life perfect where he could be the ultimate sacrifice for our failures, for our mess-ups, for our screw-ups. He paid the price we could never pay. You want to get inspired today? Think about that. You... Me, we deserve hell. I I think that's a little overboard. I'm not that bad of a person. Imperfect things don't go to a perfect place. Imperfect things don't go to a perfect place. We are sinners. The Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. One of my favorite people in the world, I'm going to get in so much trouble for telling this story. One of my favorite people in the world, we've actually got to where we have a really cool relationship with me and my brother-in-law. I called him yesterday to make fun of my mother-in-law, and it was great. And like, we have a great relationship. But before I ever met my brother-in-law, I had only met my mother-in-law. And therefore, I thought my brother-in-law was Jesus reincarnated. I, I thought he never did anything wrong. I thought he was perfect. I thought he walked on water. I thought he turned water into wine. I literally thought he was the greatest human being God had ever made since Jesus because in her eyes, he can do no wrong. But that's not true. Guess what I found out about him? He's human like we are. 
And we all mess up. We all screw up. We're all sinners. Saved by the grace of God. You need reason to be inspired to rejoice. Here's your reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's reason to rejoice today. When life is falling apart, when things aren't going the way you think they got to do, when you're dealing with sickness, when you're dealing with financial strain, when you're dealing with emotional strain, mental strain, relational strain, you need to remind yourself, this is not our home. We're just passing through. We get over what God has done for us. We lose sight of what God has done for us. It's kind of like when you get a new car and it's got that new car smell and no one's going to eat it. No one's going to drink it. Boy, it gets a scuff mark and you're washing it. And then suddenly the new car smell leaves and you just start taking it for granted. And all of a sudden the cups are in the floorboard and the back seat's dirty and everything. That's what we do with God. He loses the new car smell. We get about going about life and we forget that God saved our soul and we don't deserve it. You don't want justice from God. He's not a just God. He's a grace-giving God. Man, oh man. But Gary, I've never done this, this, and this. No, but you've done this, this, and this. Ain't it funny how... The sins that we don't commit are always the big sins. You know what I mean? I can't believe that person. I'm thinking, golly, you know all the things I did like in the last hour? The inspiration for the song. With the inspiration for the rejoicing. We need to go back and just remember God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. You think God got surprised when you lost your job? He's got something better planned for you. You didn't realize that job was killing you. That job was causing you to lose your family. That job might have become your God. And he's about to bless you like you never expected. But you need to understand something about rejoicing. Not only is there an inspiration of the song, there will be an interpretation of the song. There will be an interpretation of the rejoicing. Misery loves company. And misery hates people who rejoice in the storm. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You know, they were irritated, they're trying to sleep. They're trying to get comfortable on that concrete floor, probably that dirt floor. They just ate their stale bread and drank their nasty water. And these jokers, these jabronis, two cells down, are rejoicing and singing. They're not affected by their surroundings. I've never been to prison, but I did spend 24 hours in the drunk tank in Panama City Beach. Yeah. Apparently, I was so rowdy in the drunk tank in the Panama City jail 
What'd you do, Gary? Well, apparently, I don't remember it. Just read the ticket later. I was urinating in a public payphone. I was 18. But apparently, I was singing so loudly in the drunk tank that the other people in jail lost their minds. They took me outside of the drunk tank and they handcuffed me to a handicap bar away from everyone else. They say, why are you telling us that story? Here's why I'm telling you that story. People don't like you singing in jail. <laughs> I'm not hardened in the ways of prison. But I do know they do not like you singing in jail. So there's no way back in this time they were excited about them singing in a jail. <laughs> Here's the thing you need to realize, and this is going to be the hardest thing for you to understand. When you pick yourself up in the middle of stressful times and you rejoice, people will hate it about you. Because it will magnify the fact that they're too weak to do the same thing. Let me repeat that. When you rejoice in the midst of stressful times, contrary to popular belief of you thinking people will be excited for you, they will hate you for it. Because it will magnify the fact that they are too weak-minded to overcome mentally their circumstances. They'll become jealous that you don't get down about your circumstances. They'll get jealous that you don't have a defeated mindset. They'll get jealous that you're not depressed because they're sitting over in a corner sucking their thumb and licking their wounds. Weak people always criticize successful people. How many times do you know someone in your life who's done something great and instead of rejoicing over their success, we explain it away? Well, I mean, of course that happened to them. You know, I mean, I heard they inherited some money from their grandmother. If I mean, if I had that $10,000, I could have turned it into a million. No, you couldn't have. You'd have went and blew it on hookers and blow. No, you couldn't have. Because you're weak. So what happens when I don't have a lot of notes? <laughs> Should have got graded to preach this week after my house fell through. <laughs> Man, we love to explain away other people's success. And then make fun of their failures. Weak-minded people can't stand that you're not defeated. Weak-minded people can't stand that you're happy. I don't understand how they're happy in their marriage. Do they not know blah, 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 blah about each other? Yeah, they probably know it. And yet they're still happy. <laughs> they can't stand to see you not rejoicing. They can't stand to see you rejoicing. They can't stand to see you wallowing in your misery. Get ready for it. When you decide to rejoice and have an attitude of gratitude, you will lose friends over it. It will blow your mind. People love to see other people fail, though they'll never admit it. 
Because if everyone else is failing around me, I don't feel like such a loser about my failures. Man, I want to do a whole series on the mind. I have been studying so much about the Bible about it. It's it's insane. There's the interpretation of rejoicing. There's the intensity of rejoicing. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Because of these men rejoicing in the midst of their misery, God set them free from what was made, should have made them miserable. There's power in rejoicing. There's power in learning to control your thoughts. There's power in you taking your thoughts captive like Christ says, we're to take our thoughts captive. It's amazing when you flip a switch mentally, suddenly the intensity of everything around you becomes more vibrant. Instead of seeing problems, you see solutions. Instead of seeing dark days, you see the sun about to come up. It's amazing what happens when we shift our mind and the intensity that comes from rejoicing. It's contagious. It's hard to be miserable around a happy person. You'll either get away from them because you're weak or you'll start to get happy. Man, it's the power of the mind. It's amazing. The other day, we had a bad day. I said, told Chris, I said, I'm going to the gym. All she said to me, she goes, just listen to worship music. I could hear the tone in how she said it. It was like a suggestion because she knew I was about to lose it. And I was like, She's right. I left that gym listening to worship music and it was amazing. My whole attitude had changed. My whole mindset had changed. Why? Because positive in, positive out. Garbage in, garbage out. Some of you are like vultures, man. You just feast on the garbage. Some of your friends, hmm, man, we're going to have fun today. Some of your friends are garbage, They've been my friend for 20 years, and you've been miserable for 20 years because they feed in to your negative mindset. Instead of lifting you up, they wallow in the mud with you. Get rid of those people. They're my friends. Then keep being miserable, you miserable wretch. Some of the best decisions we have ever made in life is cutting people out of our life, including family. Dang, I just heard an amen from like the back corner over here behind the curtain. The ghost of the church is amening me. Now, I didn't say be rude to them. I didn't say disrespect them. I didn't say you can always avoid them. Sometimes you got to be around family. But you can have boundaries with them. Man, you feast on negative stuff. You read negative stuff. You know why you think the world's falling apart? Because you're on all the news sites. I took Facebook off my phone this week. I'm only on it when I'm on my computer. I'm only on there long enough to promote the events I got coming up. I, I, I can feel my attitude changing. I don't feel as mean as normal. I feel like I'm an eight on the 10 scale now instead of a 10 on the 10 scale in the meanness area. Garbage in, garbage out. Healthy things in, healthy things out. 
Why would our mind be any different than our body? I have a body. I don't even know who did that, but yeah, you got it. This is a body of fried chicken, chocolate cake, and all the and all the healthy things. If I did the same thing to my mind, how much more miserable would I be? Man, there's intensity in rejoicing. It changes everything. I, I'm going to wrap up right here. I think this is the most important one. The implications of rejoicing. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. His eye, his, he was filled with joy. Hmm, there's that word again. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The implications of your rejoicing is that it will have an impact on everyone else around you. The impact of you rejoicing in the midst of chaos will bring other people to rejoice in the midst of chaos. We live in a world that thrives on negativity. We live in a world that thrives on drama. We love, you'll never admit it, but we love to hear the screw-ups of other people. That's why we gossip about them. We're vultures. But when you come along and you rejoice in the midst of that, it becomes contagious. We have an unbelieving world out there that is miserable, and they're looking for something different. And when they look to the church, they ought to find a group of people who are rejoicing no matter the circumstances. There's power in rejoicing. There's power in uplifting. There's power when you get your mind right because it influences everyone else around you. There's enough negativity in our world there's enough crap in our world. There's enough miserable people in our world. Those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we have inspiration to rejoice. And when we choose to put that inspiration into action, the implications can be life-changing for others. Rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. Philippians 4.4, 4. you ought to put that on your wall. You ought to say it, pray it, and spray it. You ought to save it on your phone. And we need to learn the power of rejoicing no matter our circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I don't even, yeah, I guess it didn't make sense. Lord, it wasn't that complicated. But Lord, I pray that we would become people who learn to rejoice no matter what's going on around us. Lord, I pray that we would be people who don't just preach about you being in control, but we'd be people who believe you're in control.